Good Tuesday and welcome to the Ag Now Roundup. My name is Dave Deacon. Drills are rolling across the Southern Great Plains and that means that the wheat crop for the 2024 season is going into the ground and there's a lot of excitement behind it. We're going to be talking with Dr. Romulo Lolato with Kansas State University and Dr. Brian Arnell with Oklahoma State University in just a few minutes. But first, let's take a look at the weather across the region with meteorologist Matt Macon. Meteorologist Matt Makins here. It's time for the Ag Now Weather Report. Let's look at the next week in terms of total precip on the way. Pacific Northwest, New England states, Appalachians have a fair amount of water on the way, mostly in the form of rain. Upper Midwest into the northern Corn Belt hit missed pockets of some lighter rain. And then you look New Mexico into Texas, out into the Gulf states. And yes, that's not a lot of water, but consider West Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado for the time of year to get around a quarter, perhaps a half inch. Again, considering the time of year, that's a decent amount of water. But a lot of the central and southern plains are dry. And many of us have wheat in the ground. We fought very warm ground temperatures to plant. Then we had that teaser of rainfall in September. So what's happened by shutting that off? We're starting to worry about it. We're still trucking in water to help with the cattle. We're trying to irrigate, supplemental irrigation. But in our mind, we're in El Nino, so where is the water? Let's talk about the short-term and then the long-term weather pattern in this AgNow weather report. So overall, the drought has increased for the southern states throughout the course of the summer and the fall. We know that. It has also increased in the Corn Belt. Now this area is kind of synonymous. It kind of comes with El Nino to see the drought shift from the south up to the north. Now we need to recover this territory in the south from the drought. But how can we do that? How quickly can we do it? It is not quick. We have to pump the brakes a bit. El Nino, once it's established, it may still take time for you to get the water. And I'll have a breakdown of the timing in just a moment. What are the threats coming through for the next week or so? Well, as far as rainfall, not that, that it's a threat, but to get at least one inch for this time of the year may lead to some ponding of the water. It's great for soil moistures, but maybe too much for the corn belt. So we're looking at some higher probabilities in the corn. So anybody that's still harvesting corn, may have to run in some uh, some uh, rain issues next week. But for Oklahoma down through Texas, that's going to be favorable. We at least have some odds of getting an inch of water, which for the wheat, pastures, stock water, those are great. That's a great probability to see. Now, I hope those chances go up as we get closer, but that'll be coming with a system next week. What about snowfall? Well, for the mountains, kind of limited, right around three or so inches. Why do I point out snowfall? We need the snow here for the surface water supply, that runoff for our irrigation needs next year, the start of next growing season. We'll have tabs on the snowfall totals throughout the course of this winter here on the AgNow Weather Reports. What about freezing? Well, not much of an issue for Oklahoma or Texas, but for Kansas, Nebraska, any wheat in the ground that's emerged, uh, there's going to be a freeze on the way for next week. And it starts kind of right around the Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, all those state lines together and moves up to the north. Not much of a threat for the central or southern plains just yet, however. So again, with the drought, we're seeing an increase here. There's a little bit of moisture on the way over the next 10 days. It's not going to offset the drought, but at least it will help. And for the central and southern plains from the precip maps, the odds are just not favorable to have an immediate recovery, although we do have some water on the way over the next 10 days as shown. So how do we overcome this long-term drought across the south? Well, with El Nino, its impact is not immediate and it doesn't go continuously. 
So here's kind of a, a general sense of when El Nino's impact is greatest. Its greatest dry impact, its greatest drought producing impact is November through March in the Pacific Northwest and December through March into the sections of the Corn Belt and the Great Lakes. When is it likely to bring in the water? Well, wetter than normal, usually from November through April for the southeast and January through April for the southwest. So you can kind of see how that precip will migrate across the southern state. So it's not an immediate impact. El Nino's largest impact for the wheat areas is in the midwinter through early spring. That's when we have our biggest impact. And what will that impact look like this year? In a very general basic sense, precipitation from November to April will favor sections of the southern plains into the central plains with a surplus of water. I do worry about the magnitude of the drought areas and how far south they come. Whether or not they reach some of the wheat areas of eastern Oklahoma or eastern Texas remains to be seen, but right now, based on the strength of this El Nino, the timing of it, the magnitude, all of those things together, this is kind of the general sense of the probabilities for you getting a surplus of water as we go throughout the winter. That's this week's Ag Now Weather Report. Of course, we'll have more updates on this as we go throughout the seasons ahead, but we'll also have more of those looks at the freezing potential, the moisture potential, and the snow potential in next week's report. Well, thank you very much, Matt. In our first update on the wheat crop across the Southern Great Plains, we head to Manhattan, Kansas, home of Kansas State University, where we're talking with Dr. Romulo Lolato. Uh, Dr. Lolato, how, how are things looking across Kansas? Hi, Dave. Yeah, well, thanks for having me here today. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here sharing some of our thoughts with you. Um, I guess whenever we, we think of the 2023-2024 wheat crop, as it can happen in many seasons, things are spotty out there around the state, depending whether or not uh, those regions of the state receive any recent rainfall. Right. But before I get into that, let me let me backtrack a little bit and just contextualize what we are seeing here in Kansas and perhaps uh, why the situation uh, may be a little bit worse in some years as well. Right. So. Um, if we compare to the folks down south in Oklahoma, uh, at least at least when I was there in Oklahoma, right, it seemed like that we, we had quite a bit of continuous wheat. So wheat on wheat, right, with that summer fallow in between, which that kind of allows growers to capitalize on optimum planting dates whenever their rainfall comes by. There's no, I mean, for the majority, there's no summer crop growing there that they, that they can actually plant at the time. Now, I know how things change. Maybe some soybeans creeping up there and, and cotton as well, right? But uh, here in Kansas, that's actually the reality of, of the majority of the acres. It's, uh, it's uh, continuous cropping for many cases, at least the phase when wheat is being planted, right? So, for example, central Kansas, the great majority of the wheat crop actually gets planted right after a soybean crop, right? So we, uh, we're waiting on the harvest of a soybean crop. And then uh, after the harvest occurs, growers go out there and, and plant the wheat. Uh, as we move to western Kansas, the majority is still on, on summer fallow ground, so that allows for a little bit better timing. But there's a lot of acres of wheat now going right after corn as well, as soon as the uh, even dry land. As soon as growers harvest the corn, uh, they are then planting their wheat crop. So it gets into the same situation with soybeans in central Kansas in that we're waiting on, 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 the, on the harvest of a summer crop. Uh, the harvest comes many times later than our optimum planting date. And we are planting into a drier than usual soil profile because we didn't give a chance 
for that fallow ground to accumulate some water, right? So, so that's the that those are conditions that we experience in the majority of the state. It's kind of like wheat being planted more as a uh, as kind of like a double crop after some of those summer crops than the main crop being planted at that optimal time. So that worsens the con the planting conditions a little bit again because we're not many times not at the optimal time and planting into a uh, a drier profile. In 2023 planting now specifically, right, it seems like those conditions uh, have even been worsened because we're getting out, hopefully, of a third year in a row of La Nina, right? And so those three years uh, that we had on La Nina, uh, essentially, they really dried out our profile, both in the winter crop and in the summer crop as well. So essentially, back in track in a couple of years when we were planting in 2021, which was the second year of La Nina, um, we were coming out of a dry season, but there was moisture in the profile due to some uh, summer rainfall that we had. Now, the 2022 planting last year, we were of a dry profile because we we're coming out of a, of a summer crop that was dry, plus a previous winter crop that was quite dry as well. And that was kind of the, the situation this year again, is like a, we have, a, a, for the most part, getting into September, we had a very dry profile, Right, uh, essentially, virtually no no moisture in the profile there, and also not much in the in the topsoil that we could work with. Now, I mentioned in the beginning the conditions are scattered depending on whether there was some rain received here uh, and there, and so around mid September or so, the western part of the state got actually a pretty nice shower in that southwest part of the state. Uh, I think that some of our mesonet stations measured up to four inches or so, so that wow. Yeah, they not, not only uh, set up the crop to start in a good condition, but also to make it through the winter and perhaps uh, have some good moisture to start the spring as well, right? And so uh, in the southwest part of the state, things were terrible. Again, a couple, three years in a row of very, very bad crop conditions. But then some parts of the state got a very nice shower there that um, the wheat crop got planted right away, right? Either immediately before that rain uh, or, or as soon as the soil dried out enough. And... The, the crop out there is not looking bad. I mean, it's, I'm, I've been actually seeing quite a bit of activity on Twitter, and it has been a few years since I saw a good crop in southwest Kansas as we're seeing the start of this crop uh, this year as well. So a blessing there that we haven't had in a few years for the southwest part of the state. Uh, a little bit later in the month there, uh, Dave, in uh, more like towards late September, we had some showers that got more like northwest Kansas and north central part of the state. Mm -hmm. uh, Timely rain as well, right? Because that's kind of when, that's kind of the optimal time for us to be planting wheat really in north, central, and northwest Kansas in that late September, early October, right? And so uh, that, that rain was quite timely and, and growers were able to actually get some good moisture at least to start planting into, right? We definitely need more to make a good profile, but at least to get planting into, uh, we had a good moisture conditions in, in those parts of the state. Uh, we've missed some of those rains kind of in the central and south central part of the state. So um, there were some, some moisture there in that mid-September or so that some growers were able to capitalize with an early planting. Uh, since then, it's been actually pretty dry. And so uh, I'll give you even a, an example in our own trials, right? We, uh, we have been waiting to on a soybean crop to be harvested but that's why I mean, crop is not going to take to, to make more than eight or nine bushels per acre. Just made the insurance cut, so the growers going to have to right. harvest that. But I'm hearing of a lot of growers actually planting into a standing soybean crop that didn't even make that insurance cut. 
right? And so uh, that's the condition in central Kansas, that soybean crop, even though it very low yield potential, it took up some water to create whatever yield potential is there, dry planting conditions, right? And, and we're going to kind of have to pray for a rain here pretty soon for that crop to get into a good uh, stand establishment there. Uh, again, scattered showers, right? Regional around Salina, which is right there in central Kansas, they got about an inch of, of rainfall uh, just last week. So that should make the wheat crop quite happy there. You go a few miles south from there, McPherson or so, already they kind of missed that, that shower. So again, quite spotty. One recommendation, Dave, that we're talking about for growers in these conditions, right? Growers who are planting their wheat crop now, uh, but they have a dry profile, right? Or even a dry topsoil is we need to treat it as it is a late planted crop, hmm. right? If that crop is not going to emerge here within the next few uh, days, we essentially we need to treat that crop as a late planted crop. And, and what do I mean by that? If we're planting the crop late, we're pretty much planting, uh, well, we're going to have less time for that crop to tiller, right? It's going to emerge late and it's going to have, uh, we're going to have less time for that crop to tiller. So we need to do everything that we can right now to ensure that we're going to have uh, as many tillers as we can out there because uh, temperature accumulation is not going to be in our side, right? So what we mean by that is ramping up seeding rates. Right. We need to be thinking of higher seeding rates if we're planting now in a dry profile. Uh, we also need to be thinking of, if possible, putting out some starter fertilizer. Right. There are a few situations where starter fertilizer uh, really, really pays the bill there. And one of them is when we're planting late. Uh, and so thinking about putting out starter fertilizer becomes more important in these situations now. And, and also uh, like a fungicide seed treatment. Right. Because if we're going to put that seed out there and it's going to lay dry and wait until a rainfall comes by for it to emerge there there are greater chances that uh, some diseases or, or uh, will actually impact that, that seed right it's going to emerge into cooler soil conditions as well that increases the chances for some, some fungal diseases and so again uh, treating that seed with fungicide seed treatment becomes important uh, putting out starter fertilizer and ramping up seeding rates if we're planting now mid-october into soils that are dry and we don't intend to see any germination there within the next few days. What's what's the uh, the attitude of the producers that you've talked to across the state? Are they are, are, are they excited about the potential for uh, uh, well a, a better than twenty three wheat crop? With the forecast for a potential El Nino, right above above average chances of a potential El Nino there, that definitely brings up the the, the hopes, right? The, the hopes of the producers up, and I think that uh, you know producers will be willing to invest in the crop a little bit more. So that's the general feeling that I'm getting is that uh, it is like a finally we're maybe getting out of the, that three year in a row of an El Nino of of La Nina, right? And so that definitely brings uh, hope up. Uh, some and so I think that we're seeing a little bit better uh, attitude towards wheat this year uh, than we have seen in the past. Yes, what, or at least in the past couple of years, I should say. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> there's 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 always that that hope for a better crop than than some of the best years, but always better than last year. And and uh, speaking of the last year crop, what did did we see? With a smaller crop, did we see higher proteins across the state uh, with the wheat that was coming in? Were, were, were there any bright spots to the 23 crop? Usually, we that that's what we see, right? We see a, 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 um, 
lower yield and that kind of relates to a higher protein right so definitely there was more protein out available uh, last year than in a normal year now last year was also kind of funny because um, some of the rainfall came late right? right we had some rainfall that came out late may and in, in, in early june across the state and temperatures were pretty cool until that mid-june time frame right so that combination uh actually for those fields that were exposed to that combination proteins are more at the average level right because again the late season cool temperatures and a little bit of moisture available uh still made that that we that we compensated a little bit of the, the low yield potential but it was definitely above average protein compared to a normal kansas crop so that i guess it's on the upside right um even though from the new perspective uh they, they can kind of source that protein if they need it to from from elsewhere as well but it's also always good to have it in the state and make sure that things uh, that, that we stay within and, and we actually have a good market for that so at least on that was a, was an upside uh, but i guess the bigger picture upside that we had was that the late season cool temperatures and some moisture that came down in parts of the state uh they at least ensured that we didn't have a complete failure, right? I think that, that was the biggest picture of last year is that uh, mid-May, we're starting to travel around the state doing with uh, with our wheat plot tours, and it was very depressing, right? It was uh, it was very depressing because um, just because of the conditions of the crop. But then temperatures started to cool down a little bit, uh, and, and uh, we had some moisture that came down that helped the crop at least make sure that we didn't have a complete failure on last year's wheat crop. Going into this uh, wheat crop, if, if you had one piece of advice for Kansas wheat producers across the state, what would it be for this crop? Well, beyond make sure that we have a good stand establishment, right? Make sure that we that right now that's what we're that's what we're looking at, right? Make sure that we that we give that crop all the conditions that it has really to thrive, right? And that we need uh, our plant population or our, our tillers with growers uh, uh, working with lower populations there, right? But uh, so beyond that, which is kind of depending where we are in the state, that's kind of late for, for that advice. But but really be on the lookout for whether those uh, forecast El Nino conditions would really uh, take place, right? Because that brings more moisture to our state and that brings higher yield potentials as well. So it will be a, a year to try and compensate for the last two or three years that we have had a very low uh, yields, right? So be on the lookout for that because uh, what we've seen back in 2016, 2017, 2019, there were years when we had high, higher yield potential in Kansas, um, is that we had a very low protein crop. And that's because there was not enough nitrogen out there for the crop to make up yield, right? And so we're leaving yield behind, we're leaving yield in the table every time that our wheat crop doesn't make around 11 and a half protein percent, right? So be on the lookout right now in February, March, when we're putting out that, uh, that top dress application for the forecast. Is really El Nino uh, coming around and we're gonna have the higher yield potential? Well, I would make sure that we have some nitrogen out there in the profile for those uh, plants to really capitalize on it and be able to produce uh, a good grain yield and capitalize on that. And another thing to be on the lookout, if we do have an El Nino year, is just the incidence of fungal diseases later in the spring. Right, and specifically, striper rust has taken a toll on our yields all these years that we had higher yielding conditions, uh, depending on the year, leaf rust. And, and more recently, here we saw some uh, even some stem rust creeping up. And so, again, if we do have an El Nino year, it's a year to try and capitalize and, and, and make some bushels out there. And to do that, we need to make sure that our bases are covered in terms of uh, 
enough fertility out there, uh, as well as make sure that we recover in terms of disease incidence and disease potential. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lilato, for going on with us and giving us an update on the 2024 uh, Kansas wheat crop. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate the opportunity to share some thoughts with you. Sounds like planting conditions are going well across the Kansas area. Now we move down to Oklahoma and we're talking with Oklahoma State University's Dr. Brian Arnell. Uh, Dr. Arnell, how are uh, planting conditions going across your state? Well, Dave, we're really looking at a land of the haves and the haves nots uh, as it goes. Uh, just talking uh, with my crew, you know, when it comes to research plots, I do a lot of small plot work, a lot of five foot drill, 10 foot drill, 100% no till in a lot of what I'm going. And with the heat and lack of rain that my research area has received, I'm going to have a hard time getting my drill on the ground. We have zero moisture in our surface. So, like I said, in the haves and the haves nots, we, we've got some areas that look quite nice. They've received an inch or two of rain in the last 30 days. Uh, got great emergence, good soil moisture, at least in the surface. We're still struggling about everywhere with deep soil moisture, except in eastern Oklahoma. And um, But there's, there's areas like a lot of our research ground where we have had less than two-tenths of rain in the Stillwater region in the last 30 days. And we didn't really have a whole lot going in before that. So there's a lot of wheat that's being dusted in right now. Uh, meaning put in with uh, marginal or no soil moisture. Um, I'm, I'm kind of looking through the graph. There's a lot of our southwest wheat region that in the last 60 days has received less than two inches of rainfall. Wow. And if you look at our total, our, our temperatures that we've had throughout September and this part of October and some of our winds, we've dried out pretty well. So unfortunately, we've got a lot of wheat ground that needs needs a touch of moisture there there was uh, a little bit of moisture a few weeks ago mm -hmm. uh wheat producers were excited they got out there they they said hey i'm I, it's early i'm planted into this little bit of moisture mm -hmm. has it has has it come up at all and if so if not what should producers be doing so really uh you know i took a took a trip across the the high plains uh last week doing some corn harvest and what I've seen, at least in that northwest segment, which I would say was probably similar to southwest, those that got it in ahead of the rain uh, got a really good stand. And so those that had the rainfall, we've got some really good stands out there. Uh, you can definitely start seeing now the pockets that only had enough to germinate and get up and moving. Because I have seen some of the early planted wheat, even around the Stillwater region, starting to turn blue. Uh, on that early grazed wheat, we're starting to see uh, drought stress symptomology from Stillwater down through our southwest part of the region into Altus. Like I said, our northwest, we've got some really nice pockets. Those that came in after the rain, uh, you can really see uh, drill depth differences. So I see a lot of spotty emergence, stand emergence across that northwest corridor. And so you could really look at about every field and guess about when it was sown and unfortunately, like I said, there's a lot of lot of wheat being drilled the last week or so, last five days, uh, that is being dusted in. Is is the crop salvageable in those situations where it was planted and then 
uh, everything dried out, the wind dried out the, the soil and, and, you know, there, there really is no moisture to speak of right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we still, wheat's an amazing crop. It's a resilient crop, a tough crop. What we're looking for now is that, that rain event that doesn't just germinate. We do need something. Our greatest fear of those that dust in wheat is that we get a quarter of an inch or a, a less than half an inch and then we germinate and then we get another rise in temperature and it gets hot. So what we need is this cool temperature, this cool front that came through to maintain some cooler temperatures, lower evapotranspiration, and enough moisture not just to germ, but start getting some subsoil moisture uh, rebuilt. And so, yeah, I mean, wheat's never out of the game. Uh, even last year throughout the drought, there was a lot of wheat that would have been zeroed out or was zeroed out. And then a last minute rain comes in and it saves it. Uh, Dr. Jeff Edwards, as you remember, our, our former department head now at Arkansas, always had a saying that, that wheat is always one day from death. It's always tomorrow. And That's so right. we tend to have one more extra day with, with wheat. Whenever, whenever the, 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 the producers are out, uh, primarily planting, I guess the grain only now we we're, we're, we should yeah. probably be past the, uh, grazing grain, the dual purpose, yeah. uh, wheat, um, whenever they are going in there with the grain only, it should, should there be anything, um, some starter moved in there also? Yeah. Is that important in a, in a dry situation like this? Yeah. So what I would be looking at is a cautious about how much we put down a starter, but in a lot of our environments, especially as we're moving into cool weather environments with soil temperature starting to cool off, uh, putting a little starter in, whether it's an 1846 OS DAP, 1152-0 as MAP, or a 1034-0 as ammonium polyphosphate, or any phosphorus source, I'm wanting phosphorus in furrow. I'm wanting something near seed to give that root an energetic boost to get it up and going. And it also combats a lot of our southern, south, or our central Great Plains region either has high variability in soil pH from low to high, which the phosphorus aids in some of that pH variance or a lot of phosphorus variants that we've learned from our soil test uh, grid results that have been sent in over the years. So that in furrow starter has a lot of value, both covering your spatial variability and just making sure as this cool weather sets in, the soil temps are cooler, phosphorus availability goes down, that that crop gets up and going. I'm less worried about the nitrogen uh, we've got enough residual typically in our soil at this point in the stage where that crop is not likely to be deficient for quite a while. When When is too late whenever it comes to planting dates? Because I know you guys have done uh, research on mm -hmm. planting dates of different crops, especially wheat. When when would be too late to bring a crop to, to harvest yeah. if, if we don't get rain until a measurable rain until uh, late October into November. Really, you know, for me in central Oklahoma, I don't even start sowing wheat for my research until about oct October 7th, 5th or 7th. So I would like to be running. I'd like to be wrapping up right now around uh, uh, Halloween for my grain only, but I'm in no means worried about getting it in. So, you know, up until Thanksgiving, we really have a lot of options. We might need up our seeding rate to make sure we have enough uh, heads because they're not going to tiller over the fall. But up and through that time and uh, our new genetics, we do have options for the really late sown wheat. And so there are, are opportunities if you are coming out and it is into getting into December, some options if you still want that winter wheat. 
Otherwise, we pull back and we start looking at if it goes all the way bad through December, then we're starting to pull back and thinking about spring oats. Mm-hmm. Whenever, um, whenever we spoke with Dr. Lolato, he, he, he talked about the transition to an El Nino year mm-hmm. and, and, and what that means to the wheat crop. What, what does that mean to the soil nutrients uh, for the crop? Well, you know, what we, the system we have is really, was it going to do the organic matter cycle, that carbon cycle, the nitrogen cycle? Uh, In our extremely, this last summer where we've been so dry, we've not had the moisture really move that cycle along. We've also not built up a lot of residual uh, crop residue because we've basically had droughted out much areas. So that carbon nitrogen cycle has kind of been in a flux in the last couple of years with this dry getting it wet and getting soil moisture. If we could have that winter soil moisture and an early spring up, that means we're probably going to move a lot of, of breakdown because we finally have moisture for those microbes to start acting and we start having a monification and aminization, that process of breaking down organic matter into ammonium and then processing the nitrate. So, you know, depending on when we get and what the previous was, we're really going to jumpstart this nitrogen cycle at some point. It could be in the bad way. It could be in the negative way as far as tie up though. If we have a lot of straw residue that is not broken down over the summer, which we typically want it to, when we come out of these dry periods, if we have a good fall with moisture, but it was a late dry summer, we'll see a lot of nitrogen tie up in the fall. So my question is, when are we going to have that carbon tie up of the nitrogen and when are we going to have the release? And that's all about when does it rain, how much does it rain and what's our temperatures? One of our mutual friends, Dr. Kim Anderson, always says either you're a wheat producer or you're not. And and I, I, I say that statement leading into this question. Mm-hmm. We get to February mm-hmm. and, and, and choices are going to be needed to be made. Do I put yep. down the fertilizer? Do I put down the nitrogen? Mm-hmm. Do I do, do do I go ahead and do the 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 enrich strip and, and, and see? Yeah. So, you know, if we're getting the moisture, I'm ready to roll, right? So February through even April in Oklahoma, if we've got soil moisture, especially if we've rebuilt our subsoil moisture profile, which is the big key and the big kicker, I'm ready to put down fertility and I'm ready to go for the uh, for the go- glory of it and really start pushing it, which means at green up, I'm going to put a little bit on and I'm going to wait until that spring about joining and I'm going to load the rest of it down and I'm going to go for it all. If we've not had rain by February, um, it all goes back to, okay, do we do we have a stand? What are my decisions? What's a crop price? What's insurance looking like? What's my insurance state in the region I'm at? And where do I go? And if, if everything's still looking marginal by February, much like it did the past two years, right. I'm making sure I have some sort of reference strip out there, nitrogen-rich strip. I guess it would be this arm here, nitrogen-rich strip, and making that call. If that strip is not showing up, I'm not going to invest my dollars and cents into fertility because the crops tell me it doesn't need it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brian Arnell with Oklahoma State University for going on with this. And, uh, and, and here's, here's, here's to a great 24 season. Thank you, Dave. Have a great day. And of course, thank you for watching this episode of the Ag Now Roundup. If there's something on the show that you'd like to learn more about, visit our website, agnowtv.com. And while you're there, check out our social media accounts, uh, sign up for our email. And of course, you can download the Ag Now app there as well. From our farm to your farm, I'm Dave Deacon for Ag Now.